This is the Serial at Midnight Podcast. Howdy and welcome to the Serial at Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland, and this week I'm talking to Antonia Carlotta. Now, this is a special episode for people that are into universal movies, universal monsters, universal horror. Heck, just movie history in general, because in addition to being a an on-screen performer, an actor, a writer, a YouTuber, you know, she's the host of the Universally Me YouTube channel. Antonia is also the niece of Carl Limley. Now, you probably know that the Limleys in Hollywood, they, they changed the face of Hollywood. Uh, Carl Limley was the co-founder and until 1934, I believe, the owner of Universal. Universal doesn't exist without Carl Limley and the legacy of the Limleys all the way through now, the Limleys still are so important to the preservation, the curation, even just the very existence of movies as we know them. But what I love about this conversation is that it's not just rooted in the past. Now, Antonia's YouTube channel is a wonderful resource for movie history because she's talking about the monsters. She's talking about the actors and the actresses. She's got an interview on her channel with Carla Limley. Guys, this is amazing stuff. But it also, this, this conversation also talks about what's happening with Universal right now. Uh, we talk about the good. We talk about what's working. We also talk about maybe some things that aren't necessarily working and could be uh, improved upon just a little bit. So it's an interesting perspective. It goes to a lot of interesting places too. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this one. And I'm super grateful to Antonia. So without further ado, Antonia Carlotta. First of all, you seem really connected to classic film. Were you like, is that just in your blood or is this something you came to? I think it's mostly something that I came to. Um, I didn't necessarily grow up understanding my connection to, you know, Hollywood or any of that. I lived when I was a kid, I lived in Connecticut um, until I was about 13. There's not, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of movie stuff around me then. Um, I think my biggest connection as a kid, my mom had essentially like a giant gallery wall going up our staircase with like a hundred pictures that were from my family on old movie sets and old newspaper clippings and, you know, movie posters, things like that, that I would, you know, sort of meander and look at from time to time going up and down the stairs. But I don't think I had any context to understand that that was my family on real movies or big movies or interesting movies or anything like that. It was just like, yeah. oh yeah, those are my mom's pictures of my family. They did movies. That was about it. Um, and I'm sure I'm positive that there are, you know, old classic movies I watched as a kid and enjoyed, but nothing where it's like, you know, I wasn't the classic movie kid at school or anything like that. Um, were, well, let me ask you this. Were you, were movies a part of your life at all? Like, were you part of, you know, the movie culture? Did you love movies like Breakfast Club always, or, you know, I always watched movies. I always loved movies very much. I definitely, I did host movie nights at my house. And even actually as a kid, maybe when I was about 11, 12, 13, I started hosting scary movie nights at my house. That was a thing that I did. So I would watch um, it and um, like, uh, what is it? The House on Haunted Hill. You know, all of those movies. I'd invite my friends over. We'd do scary movie night. I remember we watched, which now I realize how inappropriate it was. Like at the end, we'd always find a comedy to watch, which was like Rocky Horror Picture Show 
or uh, Scary Movie once that came out in Scary Movie 2. Um, so I was that kid, but I also watched and I still continue to watch like a lot of garbage movies. I was obsessed with the Mary-Kate and Ashley series of movies, Passport to Paris and Billboard Dad. And it's not like I had some minimum quality meter that I was hitting in my movies. I just kind of always had the TV on and I always had, you know, movies on and stuff. Um, Was there like a moment where you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) this heritage is like, (laughs) yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So once I moved to California, so I'm about 13 at this point, I think it just started to contextualize it for me. I went to Universal Studios and was like, oh, this is the studio that, you know, my family started. And I would see screenings of the movies that they made and things where people actually cared about those in a different sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just started to help me understand how big and real and important, like the things that my family had done. And then that's when I started to get more into it all. Like I, I learned that Carl Lemley won a Supreme Court case against Thomas Edison, that he started Universal, that he saved hundreds of families from Europe as Hitler was coming to power, that he had a star on the Walk of Fame, right? All of these things I started to learn about. And then when I would tell my friends, like, they had never heard any of those things. They had never heard of Carl Lemley. I hadn't totally heard of Carl Lemley other than as, you know, a vague family name of mine. Um, but once I started to learn all of these things, re- like question why I hadn't known them, question why other people didn't know them. Then suddenly I was like in it. Then I was like, wait, I want to learn more. I want to talk about these things. I want to share these stories, right? I don't want them to just disappear forever. So I, I think that's what what did it. But it took time, you know? It takes maturity and age, I think, before some of us can really... I mean, I, I'm jealous of some of these people that I know who seem to have always been. Yeah. It's a classic film. Was there a was there a gateway movie or was like, what did you gravitate towards? Cause I know you do a lot with the, the monster. You talk a lot about the universal monsters and things like that. those are great gateways, but what about for you? Yeah. You know, the monsters I would say were a part of the gateway for me. And especially because then I had my aunt Carla who was in those movies. So I could watch yeah. a movie and then ask her about it and hear That's her amazing. experience. And so you know, more than even a specific movie, maybe Carla was my my gateway <laughs> to a lot of these things. Um, you know, I loved movies. Like I remember seeing My Man Godfrey. Um, I think we watched that in an old film class of mine and I loved it so much. And that made me then want to watch more movies like that. Hey, it's hard to pick just one. It, it was such a snowball for me. It was mm-hmm. like, watching this movie and being like oh that's interesting and then watching that one and then finding some link like oh this mo- this actor that I like from this movie is in this one and oh they're in this too so why don't I watch that and then learning some I don't know fun fact about that that relates to right like it just mm-hmm. it weaves and it turns and there's still like for all the movies that I've seen for all the things that I know there's way more that I still don't know and I'm comfortable now it took me a while to get there but like I'm really comfortable saying that like there are people who just grew who grew up knowing these movies and loving these movies. And they've been like just a part of their DNA in some way, their whole life. I'm still learning all the yeah. time. 
it's a beautiful thing though to to know that and i think with that realization there's like for me it's a joy because i think about oh there's so much more discovery that i still have ahead of me you know absolutely what at the same time that you're having this realization i mean you're also in you're working in hollywood right like you're i know you're on screen you're performing are the two connected for you were they evolving at the same time I, you know, I grew up doing theater. I always loved performing and acting. I guess that's one thing where I can sort of say like, oh, that was in my blood. Like mm-hmm. I, I was always very drawn to that. Um, and so for me, there was just something about, I don't know how to word it, like starting Universally Me, starting my YouTube channel where I share all of these things. It was a way for me to merge like two passions of mine. Right. I was so interested in learning and sharing this information. I was so interested in performing and having an audience and getting that opportunity to meet new people and talk to people and all of that. And Universally Me was a way to combine those. What's the reaction been to the YouTube channel? Uh, Mostly really positive, you know, which is wonderful for me. Um, It's great. I I love hearing all the time how meaningful the movies and my family legacy and, you know, that history of Universal. I love hearing how important it is for people and how much it's meant to them in their lives, whether the movies helped them find community or feel comfortable with a part of themselves that they weren't. Um, That's really wonderful. And, you know, as, as I think you mentioned before, a lot of this history is kind of dying out. It gets erased. It gets forgotten. It gets lost. Um, And so knowing that I'm a part of keeping it alive for people, or even sometimes helping people just discover something they've never heard of before Mm -hmm. um, is just really meaningful for me. Have you heard, we don't have, I don't have to leave this in, but I have to ask this. Have you heard from anyone at Universal who has seen your channel? Um, A little bit here and there. Uh, You know, I have, I, well, I used to know the Universal Archivist, and I would, I, I, he has since left Universal. I still talk to him from time to time, um, and I know he's watched some of my videos. I've been to events at Universal where somebody might come up to me and say, oh, I've, I've seen your channel, or I think this is so cool. I, I do love that at Universal, there seem to be a lot of people who are passionate about mm-hmm. Universal at Universal, yeah. um, so that's really nice. Um, a friend of mine um used to work for kind of the guest experiences at Universal and he included me in a training video for um the uh Universal tour guides so I got to share with them the history of Carl Lemley I did a Q&A once at Universal um for the employees um so so that's so yes some people at Universal have seen my videos and then that's a way that I've gotten to uh connect with them it just seems like there's such a great opportunity there to work at a at a higher level where they could tap you as a family member and as somebody <laughs> you don't have to comment on this if you don't want to but i mean there's such a it's a natural built-in opportunity there are so many studios that don't seem connected to their legacy and i won't name them but people that are but people know we're watching every day like we're seeing you know art being written off as a tax write off or a tax write down yeah. or something like that and universal seems really um connected to the legacy of their studio and to the the films themselves. I can't think of any other studio that's getting so much 
so many films restored and back into circulation. Again, I'm coming from a physical media point. Like every month, there's at least 10 universal movies that are being presented on Blu-ray or something like that that have not, they've just been in the vault, right? So I love Universal for that. And hopefully maybe somebody will see this and they'll be like, let's, let's bring her into the, like, bring her into the fold. Cause there, I mean, this could be like a, a show with like with what's going on with Turner classic movies right now, you know, like I'm so worried about the torch passing is that's the thing is like Mm -hmm. the torch needs to be passed to other people to continue to celebrate movie history. And you're already doing it. Yeah. And you know, I would say Universal hasn't always been perfect about this. After the Lovely era, there were um, a few owners of Universal that specifically tried to erase the history and say, we're a new Universal. We have nothing to do with the old one. Uh, I think it was, you know, when Ron Meyer came on that he really wanted to honor and he started um, connecting more to the history again, which I'm really grateful for. A studio that I'm so, I guess, um, that I admire so much and how they connect to their history is Disney. And I feel like Universal could learn something from them. I think the way that people know Walt Disney and connect to him and connect to the history, the way that they weave it into their park at all levels, I think that that's something that Universal could do. And they're they're starting to do a little bit Mm -hmm. more. There's no reason really other than, you know, that they're kind of starting from scratch now that Carl Lemley couldn't be, you know, kind of the face of Universal again and that they couldn't create this, um, I don't know how to word it, right? Like lovable, heroic, admirable person that people went to Universal to connect to and felt like they were a part of that family the way that people feel like they're a part of the Disney family. So I hope that at some point Universal is able to take some notes from them um, in how they're rebuilding and re-releasing their movies and, and, you know, expanding their parks. I think there's a lot of room there for them to grow. And, and going back to when you said, you know, potentially working at Universal in a higher capacity one day, like I will just put that out in the universe. I would love to do that. I think my work is to figure out where do I want to be, you know, Mm -hmm. in that structure and how could I best contribute to making like the better universal of tomorrow. But I think in everything that I'm doing now, I'm just trying to lay the foundation so that one day I say, aha, here's where I fit. Here's what I'll do. And then, uh, and then I'll be there. So I love that. That's great. You have to manifest it. You do. I really believe in manifestation. Like you put it out there and then you take the steps towards getting there and you can't, you can't take any steps if you don't set the goal in the first place. So totally. go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, Carl Lemley always used to talk about his Lemley luck. That was a way that he promoted a lot of his stuff. Um, One of my favorite quotes is like, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So I just feel like right now I'm doing all the preparation and eventually the opportunity will get there and I'll get lucky. What would you want to do? Do you like being, do you like the on-camera thing? Do you like hosting and the editing and all that? You know, I do. I really, I love being on camera. If the opportunity that came my way was, you know, acting or doing something on screen, like I would eat it up in a second. But I'm also a very 
structured and logical and analytical person. Um, you know, it's funny, I, I don't always consider myself a creative person, though I'm in this creative field. I approach everything from such a research point of view, from such an analytical point of view. So I could see a future where I am producing, where I'm helping to create the slate of films for Universal, where I'm talking about ways, gosh, you know, I, I would love to be like in the dark universe and say, hey, here's a way that we could revamp these movies where you will attract these audiences, you know, if you use these actors, like I would love to be able to build something out like that. But I'm not so in the industry or so ingrained in the industry that I know exactly what that role is or that place is that I need to be. That's a good point, though, because I do feel like there's often a disconnect between the executive level who are green lighting projects and then the actual creation process, knowing what would be the best fit for the audience and for the studio's resources. Well, how many times have they tried to do like a new franchise out of like a new connected universe? Like there was the Tom Cruise mummy movie. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was, the, do you remember the Van Helsing? You, this was might've been before you were into it, but when Van Helsing was a movie, it was like, it's the, it's the future of universal monsters, but it wasn't. No. And I, one of my friends really enjoys that movie. Maybe about two years ago, I tried giving it a watch. It wasn't personally my favorite. Yeah. Um, I think that Universal keeps trying to make their classic horror movies into action movies. I think they're trying mm -hmm. to capture the Marvel audience or that DC audience, and they're not carving out their own space. Yeah. Um, and because of that, they're not... They're not getting the audience that they want. They keep making these action movies that aren't really horror. Like Renfield was visually interesting, but, but I didn't love the story and the mob and, you know, all of that stuff that went into it. It didn't do great at the box office and it didn't, I don't think it's going to be like memorable for mm -hmm. a long time in people's minds. Um, I think that Universal could have made it a true horror or like, suspense film and it might have made a movie that was much more meaningful and profitable that's what I, I they're missing out on profit I think by not just being their own entity um yeah. I think back to and I know this was like right before COVID but the invisible man that came out which was a proper horror film mm -hmm. and I think it was updated in a really like unique way or a really good way um, and that movie did great. Low budget, high returns. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sure why it didn't spark Universal to say, oh, let's lean into that. There's a magic to Universal that nothing else can be what Universal was in those early days. Those movies are iconic for a reason. Even going through the 50s with like the Black Lagoon, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, those movies are iconic and they're beloved. And I feel like um, there's still a place for that at the modern movie marketplace. So we've just got to let them know, I guess. And that's what you're talking about is connecting, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and figuring out how to let them know. I mean, I, I, I have two step kids here. They're three and they're seven and they love the old monster movies. They'll ask all the time. Like I, I want Wolfman. I want Wolfman play uh Gilman Gilman. Like they'll ask for these movies and they'll watch like, most of the way through, you know, at their yeah, young age with right. 
uh, not great attention spans and they ask over and over for them. So it's not like these movies are so old that they can't be enjoyed by kids or new audiences or something like that. Uh, we just have to find the way to, it's like, you just have to find the way to reach that audience. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that Universal's not putting effort into. Yeah. How do you feel? This is a, this might be a tough question, but how do you feel from where you sit and what you see? How do you feel um, classic movies are surviving? Are, are they surviving in our culture? Are, when we started this conversation, I said, I feel like a lot of them are being forgotten. I feel like the connection grows thinner by the year. Do you agree with that? Or do you have a different perspective? I think I do agree with that. I just think as it stands right now, each year we lose a few more classic movie fans than we pick up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I recognize that those classic movie fans, well, those movies were brand new modern movies when they were young. So it's a right. little bit different. Um, but yeah, I don't know if we're quite scooping people up the same. I think each time you have a good modern remake of a movie, mm -hmm. you direct more people to the original. If we made a really great Renfield, if we made a really great Frankenstein remake, for instance, I think that so many more people who are likely to say, ah, but what, what started this all? Where did this come from? And you can grow, you know, a new classic film fan base. Um, but as it stands right now, I think, I just, yeah, I think we're kind of losing that audience a little bit. The biggest problem that I see, and I'm interested if you, how you feel about this is that I feel like the audiences that I see now think that the older movies are corny or they're cheesy. They're not willing to suspend their disbelief. Now, like you, like Renfield, like we'll suspend, we'll watch matrix stunts and, you know, like all the crazy stuff that that movie, like I get, gets beaten with his own limb. Right. But then the idea of like, you know, a Bella Lugosi Dracula or Frankenstein, I feel like there's a lack of suspension of disbelief. And I wonder if sometimes if the modern movies have been so, I don't know. This might be my age because I like I just feel like there's a smugness now, and I feel like we do not allow ourselves to enjoy things. Like people, like you know, my channel sometimes people are like, oh, I don't watch black and white movies or, or something. Like that's horrifying to me because I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I talk about a ton of them. What are you talking about? But I don't know. It's just there's a disconnect there, and I'm like, when did we become too cool for this? You know? Yeah, you know, I can understand that for a young audience, those old movies in addition to say the special effects or you mm -hmm. know whatever not being as realistic as today for instance those movies probably seem a lot slower because yeah. our modern day horror movies you have a new frame right every single like this angle this angle cut, close cut, in back cut. away all yep. all of that the old movies a lot of times they'll set up a camera they'll run a scene they'll set you know and mm -hmm. so it it probably feels really different. You can't just swipe, you can't move. Um, and that probably makes it a little harder for a younger person to invest in a new film. They're also not going to stumble upon those movies the way that people more often might have 20 years ago. They're not mm -hmm. flipping channels. They're not stuck with whatever happens right. to be on TV. They've opened up their streaming service. They've got 10 movies recommended for them that are exactly like the last 10 movies that they watched. So they're probably not going to say, oh, what's this old movie that's totally different than anything I've ever seen? Yeah. What's what's our responsibility? How can we help? 
I think, you know, some of these things that you and I are doing, right? I mean, we have YouTube channels. That's what we're doing, but <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we can try to talk to everybody that we know and find the connection that might make somebody interested. You know, mm -hmm. oh, you told me you love horror movies. You should watch this movie from the 30s. It's not like other horror movies because X, Y, Z. And I think, you know, and, and it inspired this movie that inspired the movie you love something like that. Or, um, you know, even if somebody's talking, like I will try to find ways if somebody's talking about a social issue to connect it to an old movie from the thirties where mm -hmm. already they were talking about this thing, or it gives a really different perspective or whatever it is. So sometimes I'll just try to find the connection that I can. I have my YouTube channel where I'm just continuing to talk about different movies, actors, topics, you know, things, and hoping with each one, I'll reach a few new people and somebody will say, oh, wow, I learned something I didn't know before. And now I'm interested in watching this movie or seeing all the movies of this actor or whatever it is. Um, and I think your podcast, I love, uh, and, and channel, um, I love that there are like conventions, you know, that go on and panels and Q and A's. I think it's just all of these things to keep trying to reach out to people. If everybody just takes one friend to a screening, you know, they're not all going to love that screening, but I bet a lot of them will. And then they'll be interested in learning more. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. You know, in LA, like preservation and conservation, those are so important to me. I used to be really big about preserving and conserving, you know, every old building in LA and all of that stuff, which I like still believe in wholeheartedly, but I also understand that part of moving forward is letting go of things from the past. And sometimes you have to make room for new things. So it's just about what can we do to preserve or remember or share as much as possible. So even if the building's not there anymore, even if we lost the film or the actors passed away, we've done as much as we can to share as much as we can for the next generation who won't get to see it live or in person. <laughs> I, what I love about essentially what you're saying is like active fandom. Fandom is active. It's not passive. Yes. Like take charge of it, be involved in it, share it, spread it. And yeah, that's, that's what we can do. Cause we're doing that, but everybody can do that. And it's, even if it's just talking to somebody at the checkout at the grocery store, if you're wearing like a Bride of Frankenstein shirt or something like, Oh, it's a great movie. You know, that's something that that encourages that elevates everything. Absolutely. You know, I don't I don't want to be the only old universal YouTube channel or the only yeah. Carl Lemley channel. Right. I will feel so validated if five more pop up who are doing the same thing that I am, because that's whole new audiences that are going to hear, you know, the information, whole new people that are going to connect to it. So I'll feel like I've done my job if more people out there know Carl Lemley and love Carl Lemley and share Carl Lemley. Active. I love the that term, active fandom. I <laughs> let's put it on shirts. The marketing. Yes. <laughs> um, as we are, I'm I'm winding down, but I do want to ask you, you know, it, because you're talking about classic film, you're talking about social issues connected with the history of cinema. And I love that too, because these very few issues are actually new. You know, you can go back to the pre-code era and so much of what we're dealing with now was a topic of conversation a hundred years ago. Um, have you experienced any 
I, you know, the first word that comes to mind would be gatekeeping, but just any adversity, any pushback about what your message is or just you yourself. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've definitely experienced gatekeeping. I've, you know, it's, I, I don't want to say, oh, I've had all of these negative experiences. I feel like a lot of people very much want me to prove, you know, that I'm an expert, prove that I deserve to be talking about these things. Um, I absolutely don't mind, you know, people correcting me on my channel. Oh, this is pronounced like this. Oh, you said the wrong date. It was actually this. Like, that's totally fine. I get a lot of comments where it's like, you should know this if you're making these videos, Missy, or things like that, where it feels not product, not a productive conversation. And I have made videos where I'll talk about the political, you know, um, connection of a movie, you know, back in 2016, when I was it really 2016, I guess it was back in 2016, when uh, Trump was elected, I made a video about Carl Lemley's activism, how I thought he would feel about, you know, the election of Donald Trump. It mirrored a lot of things that were going on in the 1930s. And I cited everything very specifically. And I got some angry comments from people saying, stick to the movie, stay out of politics, saying you don't know anything about what your uncle thought, even though I said, you know, oh, he was a part of this, you know, anti-Nazi group. And here are similar groups today. And he was a part of, you know, he signed this paper or wrote this letter that said all of these thoughts and people saying, no, that's not true. Stay out of this. Um, so a lot of um, adversarial comments, I mm -hmm. guess, and advice. I've, I had people try to like gotcha me as well by saying that he was a registered Republican which I then in detail talked about how, you know, Republican and Democrat um, has changed a lot in meaning over the years. Here's what it meant before. Here's what it means now. Here are policy stances are the same or different. And people who then would say, you know, oh, shut up. I don't actually care. Or you don't need to educate right. me. <laughs> Things <laughs> like that. So all of this to say, um, yes, I've experienced some gatekeeping. I've experienced um, some just maybe like general anger. Mm -hmm. There was a time when those kinds of things, I think actually did hurt and maybe kept my channel down a little bit. I would feel like I had to back up anything that I said so much, provide so much supporting evidence for, you know, this statement or that statement, or, well, maybe I just shouldn't talk about this at all because these people might comment this thing. And I think then there was a point where I almost just got tired of it. it. It probably was around the time that I made my video that said, you can call the monster Frankenstein. And I, you know, made a like eight point argument as to why talking about, you know, Mary Shelley's point of view and the original book and how definitions, I, I went into great, great detail. And so many people just kind of said like, no, I disagree. Or like, no, I don't like this. Or said things that I said in the video, but like clearly hadn't watched the video. Mm -hmm. And that I think might've been the turning point where it was like, no matter what I say, some people are just going to disagree or be yeah. against me or try to find something. And like, that's okay. That's on them. All engagement is good engagement. All views are good views. And 
whatever. And I think that opened up a lot of freedom for me. Then I was like, I'm just going to make what I'm going to make. Like, I'm going to do my best work. I'm going to talk about it as accurately and correctly as I can. And then just let go and let God. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good philosophy because everybody says, no, you can't. Very few people say, yes, you can just go ahead and do it. Like, but you do learn, like you learned it. I think I'm learning it too, is that it doesn't matter. It just, it, none of that, that doesn't matter. Just keep moving forward with saying what you have to say. It'll find the people that it's meant to find. And it doesn't matter what people think. I mean, it feels like, it feels like it does matter, but they can't stop you, you know? And every comment they leave, to your point, every comment they leave, every, you know, every time they click the video, they're incur- they're promoting that video. That video gets further into the, the algorithm or whatever it is. Absolutely. You know, and I, I, again, I recognize that there are people for whom the monsters, the Lemleys, they're part of their DNA and they've loved them their whole life. And for so many of those people, they're fantastic, right? They're watching my videos. They're engaged. They want to have conversations and ask questions and talk more and, and teach me things in a really wonderful way. And I'm so grateful for that. Like I want to learn everything I can from everybody else who's been thinking about this their whole life. Um, so yeah, I guess all of that's to say like for, for those people, like I'm so, so, so grateful. And on the other side, people who are, I don't know, mean, like they just don't have to matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, so that's good advice for anybody that's watching this, that may be feeling discouraged or bullied or anything. It's like, just, if they don't, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Just keep going ahead. For sure. There are so many more people who love what you do than who don't. Yeah. Right? It, I think that's that true. one comment sometimes can drown out the 20 positive ones and just like, don't let it. Yeah. Yeah. What's coming up. What have you like, what's, what lies ahead for you? Is there anything you can tell us you're working on anything plans? You know, it's a great, you know what? Yes. So some things I have coming up, I mean, first off more universally me, episodes. Um, I am putting the final touches on a video I'm editing right now, which is a really great story from when Carl Lemley Jr. was a child um, on the Universal Studios lot. Uh, So that should be up this week. I have written some other scripts, uh, a tour of Boris Karloff's homes all over LA. Um, Carl Lemley Jr.'s house in Beverly Hills was recently on the market. So doing a little home tour of that. So on Universally Me, all of that is coming up. Um, In the further future, uh, I'm working on both a biography of Carl Lemley, which there hasn't been one since the 1930s. So I'm really excited to do an update to that. That will probably be out a little over a year from now. And I am working on a children's book inspired by my Aunt Carla, who grew up living on the Universal Studios back lot as a kid. She had this incredible, magical fairy tale childhood. Uh, and then she acted in Dracula and she danced in Phantom of the Opera. So figuring out the timeline, but I think winter, spring of 2024, that should be out. And I recently acted in the uh, web series revival of Strange Days at Blake Colsey High. Uh, it's called Echoes. Um, and I don't have any more episodes coming out right now, but they just wrapped the season. So like, who knows what's up for next season? 
Okay, I have to ask you, as someone who's acting on screen, do you worry now with the, these tax write downs? Are you? Is there a part of you that's concerned, like this might just go away, or is that just kind of acknowledged to begin with that nothing is permanent? Yeah. Um, yes and no. You know, I've never. I haven't usually thought about it in like reference to my own work because uh -huh. <laughs> nothing that I've done is so big budget that I think it's worth the write off. Um, I. From a personal point of view, like I'm just so happy to be involved in any project that I can be involved in. It's so much fun for me. Would I love if the whole world gets to see it? Like, yeah, a thousand percent. If they don't, I'll just try to take the lesson from it or the experience and move forward. But I think it's a terrible precedent that the studios are setting by doing this, by saying, we're going to make these projects, we're going to call them a failure, we're going to take the money. That I think is a problem, but from a personal point of view, I would try not to take it too personally. Okay. That's a good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Um, <laughs> as we wind down, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I think just in a general sense, and obviously I'm kind of biased, but the more that I learn about all the members of my Lemley family. So from Carl Lemley Sr. to Carl Lemley Jr. to Carla Lemley to my great-grandfather, Eddie, who was a director at Universal, who traveled all around the world making movies. Just the more that I learn about them, the more that I learn that they were like great, brilliant, kind, interesting, fascinating, amazing people. Um, and I would just love everybody to like crave to learn more about them and share more about them. And I don't know, poke at Universal sometimes to bring them more to the forefront of the studio. Great. Yeah, that's that's great. I'm going to put all your social media links and your YouTube channel and everything in the description of this video. I would encourage everybody to click through those, follow you. Instagram, I know, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Are you Facebook? I, mean, I can't remember if you're on Facebook or not. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. It's technically my personal page, but everybody comes and follows it and I post there all the time. So pretty much everything is just Antonia Carlotta. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I don't really go on Clubhouse anymore, but I've got it. YouTube. I mean, those are all the places. Wow, yeah, it's a lot of places. It's a lot of places. I'm trying to be more focused but thank you so much for the time that you spent with me here today and thank you for keeping the spirit of classic cinema alive and fresh and relevant i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me this was a joy there's so much in this conversation that i love i specifically love the sort of call to action which is that movie fandom is not a passive sort of a thing it's instead of keeping others out this is a, it was becoming a recurring theme here for serial at midnight instead of putting up borders gates to keep people out uh, do you know can you name five universal do you know henry hull have you are you familiar with the cheney family uh we could be inviting others into it we could be sharing it and being a gateway for people that don't already love classic movies to discover them and to find them for themselves i had a gateway i want to thank uh, my friend Jay Bones, because he was such a gateway for me for Universal movies. I've told him this before. He knows this, but 
uh, I was aware of the Universal Monsters, but his love for the Universal Monster Classics really was uh, is infectious, and I watched them through a new lens because of how he saw them. And I think we can do that for other people. That's something that is, um, we're all able to do it, right? It's, it's not something, you don't have to have a YouTube channel. Just the people in your life, the people that you engage with. Just be a good influence. Just be a good movie fan sharing it with other people. Uh, that's one of the things that I love about this conversation. Remember, you can follow Antonia at all the links. I'm going to include them at the uh, video description, the, the YouTube. The, on the YouTube version, it's the video description. On the podcast version, it's the episode description. The links go everywhere. Uh, so please do support her, follow her. And I would love to know what you think about this episode. So you can uh, contact Serial at Midnight. You can leave comments on uh, YouTube. You can give us thumbs ups. Please rate, review, subscribe. As I say all the time, there are 117 billion podcasts and there are uh, 135 new ones that launch each day. It's easy to get lost. And I think Serial, like I'm going to be honest with you guys, I feel like the audio version of this podcast, maybe even the video version too. It's just not getting seen by the people that I think would really enjoy it. It's kind of a secret. So, hey, speaking of call to action, spread the word. If it's just posting about it on your social media, if it's, you know, wherever you go, if you know somebody, is like, hey, you should check out Serial at Midnight. I think you'd really enjoy them. Whatever you can do, I do sincerely uh, appreciate you. I bow. I doth my cap to thee. Uh, what I'm getting Shakespearean now. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate you. We'll be back here soon with another exciting, relevant, powerful conversation. Uh, take care. Until next time, I will catch you later.